it's Chris. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You don't have to do any of that work. In addition, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. situation in the story podcast where you can peer into what happens behind the page as I pick authors brains about their experiences their process and their purpose I'm your host Chris Moore sit back relax and enjoy the show happy new year 2020 has already proven to be a whirlwind and we're only a week in If you're hoping to take a break from the ever-increasingly frightening and disheartening world news, you came to the right place. For my fourth episode, I sat down with Mary Harpin. She's a Denver-based poet, a medium, and a consultant for global Fortune 500 companies. You can find her work in Terrain, 14 Hills, Tinderbox, and elsewhere. We talked about her first full-length collection of poems, Shadow Rise, To learn more about her work and purchase her collection, check out maryharpin.com. My first question is always, why do you write? Well, there's an innate impulse to write that's always been there. Um, And I usually could go further and say, I write because I'm inspired by other writers. Mm. Reading is the best way to get the creativity flowing. And I can't read something beautiful and not have my own thoughts that I want to put down in a different way. So nice. Yeah. And for other people, you know, I want to move people in the way that I have been moved and I hope that that happens at least sometimes. So, yeah, me too. (laughs) I I will say your writing definitely moved me. So, Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) So who are some of the writers or that are inspiring you? Oh, that's such a great question. All of them. Um, (laughs) Who am I reading? I mean, Kim Edanizio. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I love okay. her books. Um, gosh, I got to look at my shelf here. Uh, Robert Pinsky is awesome. I love, um, God, I'm blank- blanking on his name. I'll come back. Uh, Robert Bly. Okay. I love him and his era of men, just sort of short, natural, but really moving, just like spot on poems that just get you, you know, in the end. Um, I tend to like shorter, um, just more concise, simple poems than like lengthy multi-page kind of work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so those are a few. I mean, I, I can come up with a bunch more if I have a minute to think about it. But <laughs> yeah, no on worries. the spot, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how long have you been writing poetry? You know, I did it a little bit, of course, in high school. I think a lot of us do. And in college, took writing classes and really only wrote poetry for when it was assigned. I wrote more short fiction. Okay. And went into graduate school with the idea of doing short stories as my primary aim. Ah. And realized about halfway through, like, I'm not meant to do that. I'm meant to be a poet. I still love short stories and would like yeah. to, to write more of them. But these little snippets I had been jotting down without thinking they were poems were were poems. And right. so I kind of went in that direction with it. Kind of, I just switched genres halfway through Yeah. Um, my program. I'm glad I was in a program that allowed that because it felt so right yeah. to do that. Yeah. That's intriguing because like um, my last interview, Stephen Dunn, he said he thought he was a painter for the longest time. Oh, interesting. And then realized <laughs> his wife said something about, do, do you ever notice how many words are in your paintings? And he's like, right. Huh, oh. maybe I'm supposed to be a writer. And they're not distinct lines, right? Like there is a blending of like, he's right. probably both. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure. So um, not putting yourself in the niche in grad school, I sometimes ask you to ask you to do that. Right. Well, right. you have to find kind of what it is that you want yeah. to go for. And that makes sense in a way, you know, but yeah, I kind yeah. of, before I went into my MFA program, I mostly wrote poetry and mm -hmm. then I went into the program um, in the creative nonfiction genre because I wanted to write a memoir and I did, but now I'm starting to think maybe I should <laughs> go back or do both. Yeah. It's such right. a, yeah. There's a lot I want to say in my writing and you do, you need more than one medium. I feel right. like. And yeah. if you think about the same, if you want to, you know what you want to say it's a whole different thing to say it in prose versus poetry or yes. fiction or nonfiction. And yeah. they can all be really beautiful on their own yeah. way, but it's completely different. Yeah. I have a feeling if I ever publish my first <laughs> collection, it will be mm -hmm. like essays and poetry kind of hybrid cross genre Great. stuff. Yeah. Great. So you're my first guest that I've never met before. Oh, cool. So this is different for me. <laughs> so I want to know about you, your background, sure. where you come from. Oh, God. Well, so I grew up in rural Indiana oh. in a small town of 10,000 people. Um, and, you know, we could walk everywhere, close-knit family, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And went to Hanover College, which is a small liberal arts school near the Ohio River. Okay. Beautiful campus and majored in English. Um, I don't know how much detail you want. Moved around, went, moved to Portland, Oregon, like a week after graduating. Loved it there. Traveled for a year. So, you know, lived there for several years. Traveled the world for a year. Lived in Australia for a while. Oh, nice. Um, and then came home and knew I didn't want to go back into the workforce. I wanted to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be near family. I was pretty distant from them for that time and kind of wanted to, for it to feel like home, but, uh, more urban and more, you know, my speed, more yeah. progressive. Yeah. So I went to grad school in Minneapolis, which is an amazing city mm. and an amazing community of writers. They support the arts like 
it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, loved it. Met my husband there and, but the winters were pretty tough and he was in graduate school too. And so when he got his job out of grad school, I was freelancing and could go anywhere. So we moved to Denver around that time. And by then we had a one-year-old with us and now we have two awesome little girls. Um, and we've lived in Denver since 2011, I think summer. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the backstory. And so I, I worked, I, I worked in corporate America for a little while before grad school. I worked at a winery too, which was a ton of fun. Uh-huh. Um, and then, but since grad school, I, I left and have been an independent consultant for digital writing usually for medical device companies. So that's my main um, source of income, but I needed the flexibility to, to have hours to do other things. And in the last year or so, so I'm an intuitive medium and I've started practicing professionally in the last year or so. And I've done a ton of training for that. I mean, that takes a lot of discipline and practice. Yeah. Tell me what, what is, what all does that entail? That's really (laughs) what what I was wondering. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What does it mean? really fascinating. Um, so I, uh, I'm clairvoyant and I can connect with consciousnesses that are around the spirits that are around us and I can communicate with them. So I had, you know, experiences with that kind of randomly throughout my life and didn't think I was supposed to do anything with it. And then, um, it started happening more frequently and to the point where it felt a little disruptive, Mm. you know, I would, I switched, massage therapist twice because you know when you're when you're in the relaxed state it's you're more likely to be aware of these things and I kept getting spirits in the room and I and you don't just read strangers you know it's not really appropriate so I um decided to take a class to learn what was happening and Mm -hmm. to see um why and how I can have boundaries with it and kind of discovered in the course of taking those classes that there was uh, like a need and kind of a calling for me to start, um, you know, providing those skills to, to help other people and to help them heal. So, yeah. So I've been doing readings, you know, with that and, and sort of learning who there's so many approaches to it and so many styles and ways that you can do a reading, um, what mine is. And I studied with James Van Prague, who's a, really well-known and just amazingly talented medium okay. uh, for about a year. And uh, we'll be studying with Andy Bing next year. He's a British medium um, and kind of learning, learning how to do it. So my readings are typically part intuitive, which is where I read the energy of the person, the individual. Um, and, and I can gather information out of their, their energy field. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I can open that up and you raise your vibration even higher. So it takes deeper meditation practice to get your, your vibration to, to raise high enough to, to actually communicate with consciousnesses that are, that are around us. Um, and then I, I move into that space and I can, can read that information too. And I always enter it in, enter, enter into it with the intention of bringing through what is the best for my client to hear. The spirit world is in charge of what, what comes through. I'm not. Um, yeah. And it is always fascinating and moving and I get to meet the most amazing people and, um, it's, it's really cool, cool work. So it's fascinating. Anybody that knows me knows I'm a bit of a skeptic. So it's yeah, it's natural. Here. Of course you are. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, did you yeah. uh, experience that like growing up even as a kid? Or yeah. 
Well, so the first main experience that I remember that was pretty an intense one was when my, uh, when my grandmother passed away, she came to my room in the night Mm. and told me that she had died and that it was going to be okay. And I sat bolt up in bed and I felt her put her hands on my shoulders and say, it's okay, lie down and go to sleep. And I just felt this wave of energy flow through my body that is just otherworldly peaceful. And when my mom came in the next day to tell me she passed away, I said, "I, I know, you know, Wow. And I had a couple experiences like that. I had another one when I was a kid, um, just, it was just, there was a boy that I went to the bus stop with, didn't know very well. I had a dream that his dad died and came to me and said, I want, you know, the, this son to know that he's going to be okay. And he didn't, he actually died two months later. And wow. I have the newspaper clipping, you know, my, I wrote it in my journal and then I have a newspaper clipping showing what happened. Yeah. So, that was precognition, which is a little different than mediumship because right. you're projecting into the future. But so stuff like that happened. And now, you know, I can control that in a different wow. way. Yep. Yeah. It was, that's interesting. You bring up dreams because that's any type of connection that I've felt to, you know, the unconscious or otherworldly would be through dreams. Sure. Um, so is that you said that's more. It's, it's a common way. Yeah. Okay. Because you're cool. just in a different mental state. So what's happening in when when you're aware of, you know, intuitive information, it, your brain waves change. So beta is where your brain operates, like right now. Our brains, if we did a scan, would probably be in beta wave area. Okay. Um, and if you change your brain wave to theta or higher, that's the most intuitive state. And that's usually around where you are when you're sleeping. So you're just okay. more receptive at that time. And the spirit world knows that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's, it's a good way for them to reach, to reach us with what they want to say, or just let us know that they're okay. You know, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I have you heard of Soulcraft? No, I haven't. No, it's, uh, you might know the writer, Bill Plotkin. Yeah. yeah. Right. His, his like form of contact with the spirit world and soul initiation and things like that. And I'm actually going to go to a week long wilderness intensive Oh, cool! to try to, yeah, to try to find my soul's purpose. Cool. <laughs> and possibly <laughs> connect with the more than human world. Excellent. Yeah. So you brought up um, your grandmother, which uh-huh. was actually my next question because I noticed um, her in your work more than once. Yes. Who, so it's who, actually a different grandma, but okay. it's funny that you mentioned that because that grandma showed up in a dream of mine last night. So really, she probably knew we would be talking about her today. That's so interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. mean, I can, I can tell from what you said and from your collection, family seems pretty right important to you. Yes. Yep. So, okay. So the grandmother in the collection then who was she who was she she was my my dad's mom and she was amazing she was a dutch immigrant first generation so her her parents she was born in the u.s but barely i mean okay yeah less than a decade and spoke dutch at home and she they were farmers and she um actually lived to be 104 years old wow and it was just outstanding had four kids and worked she was just was naturally drawn to be a hard worker and a loving grandma she was great yeah 
I yeah, love so that. She's in her bunch. Yeah, <laughs> I love that kind of like work ethic, you know, hands in the dirt feeling that I kind of got from her. Right. Right. Um. Let's see, what would be a good one to look well, at? Well, so a good segue would be um, preparing the garden for winter. Yeah. Um, because the story behind this one, it's on page 21. Yes. Um, she lived in a, an era where women didn't really work outside the home. Yeah. Right? So she was born in 1910. Um, right. And so she came of age during the Depression. And so a lot, of, a lot more women went to work. She dropped out of school, um, I want to say 16 or 15 years old, and went to work as a typist for Studebaker, the car manufacturer, and lived, lived, boarded in someone else's house. You know, she had to move, move out. As a teenager. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. And um, she liked to work. She, she wanted to, to work. And then she, when she met my grandfather, now I don't know how much truth there is this, but the family lore is that, yeah. you know, you wouldn't get married unless, unless the man had a job and it was the depression. He would have loved to have a job, but he, he didn't. And so he would pick up coal that fell off of the trains um, and sell it. And so he called that his uh-huh. job so they could marry. And he, they started together a hardware store in our small town in Indiana. And that was the family business. She loved to work in the store, but, you know, she had four kids. She had to leave and go home and, you know, be there after school and prepare the family meal, but she never wanted to leave. She wanted to, she wanted to stay, but she she, culturally, like that wasn't really acceptable. Right. No, she didn't love, she loved to take care of her family too, but she would always tell me that she, she hated, you know, getting sent home to do the domestic thing. So that's interesting. Right. So this poem is kind of based on that because, you know, I compared it to poetry and, you know, there's so many days when you wish you could be doing this work that you love and are feel called to do, but the day to day of life has to be done first, right? You have to put it aside to do the thing that makes the money or do the thing that takes care of the family or just those other sort of tasks. And I wish I loved that work. I love my kids. This isn't a, an issue of like domestic. It's more actually the day job and, you know, things like that. But I wish that I were a person that loved a garden and I wish I were a person that loved corporate office jobs. And I, you know, the, the life would be so much easier. Uh, wait, I, you're actually... not a person that loves to garden? <laughs> no, I, I, I love a garden, but I don't love to garden. I'm, I suck at gardening. I did not get, I did not, not get that through. Your oh, life. yeah. There's no, so I would rather about... be writing any day than, um, that. I love nature. Totally love yeah, it. Yeah. But I would love yeah. for someone else to be the person that actually takes care of it. I will kill that garden so fast. So, I'm <laughs> so, so speaking of gardens. Yes. I ransacked my landlord's garden. Oh yeah. Probably <laughs> one of my favorite ones in here. True um, story. He was he was a piece of work, man. Let me tell you. Yeah, it is a true it is a true story. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh. So it, the story behind that, I lived in this little apartment during graduate school. Um and it was sort of the attic level of this gorgeous old house. So it wasn't yeah. officially really supposed to be an apartment anyway. And there was no real lock on one of the doors. It was a dead, oh. it was an eye hook. And it just made me uncomfortable, even though, you know, break-in was unlikely. The fact that they would make it to the attic was unlikely. Like, I just wanted a real lock on my door, right? And yeah. I said something to him. And he said, well, you know, that's how pretty girls get raped, being paranoid. 
and throwing those vibes into the universe. And I just could have punched him in the face. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't pick, I can't, I can't picture the type of person that would even say that. Yeah. He, I mean, he had lots of stuff going on. I mean, yeah, there are many stories about him because I'm not normally a person who would be like, a little vengeful like that. Right. Like I wouldn't normally. Yeah. You don't um, strike me as that. Type. No, but I was yeah. like, he was, and it was not just that story. There were a lot of other things, but I was just like, you know, um, maybe you sending vibes out to, out into the universe means that I need to have all of your tomatoes on my counter. <laughs> you know, Hell so, yeah. I, I was younger. I probably wouldn't do that today, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you, it's my yard too. Do, right. Yeah. Would you be willing to read that one? Sure. Which I'm um, looking for the page. Um, 31. 31. All yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> I ransacked my landlord's garden. I asked you to replace the back door eye hook with a deadbolt. And you said, that's how pretty girls get raped. Sending paranoid vibes into the heavens like that. All summer I watched you from my balcony. Such priestly pruning and prayer. You flicked away box elders, mixed bone meal, and manure, and today two dozen tomatoes idle on my counter. A bucket of peppers, the only squash, cucumbers in a paper sack, bitter bright radishes, a head of cabbage, 16 carrots, a most beautiful violet eggplant with a wax shine skin and a daisy fresh center. Mine. Your corn stalks, pathetic. Poor beheaded brides of the Lord, I confess one regret. I did not take the lone lovely melon, the cord too strong for me to break barehanded. Hmm. That's one way to stick it to the patriarchy, huh? <laughs> it is. Subtle <laughs> way. I, I mean, it, I love it. Yes. Nonviolence. Did he, did he ever, uh, did he ever say anything? No, no. Oh. I don't think he, he would have known he didn't know who to say it. something to. Yeah, uh -huh. it, was, it was a pretty urban house with a yard with lots of, you know, traffic. So Love it. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so you're not a gardener, but there's so... I've, if I remember correctly, I feel like there's so much about gardening and growth and... Yeah, there is. Insects. No. And, yeah. There's, it's, so, you know, nature is... Right. Is we're, you know, in harmony. I just can't cultivate it <laughs> by my will. Right. <laughs> it's just, we don't get along in that way, but we yeah. get along in all the other ways. Yeah, yeah. Plus you talk to the spirit world. So. I do. So there's a, you know, there's a lot about reincarnation in here. Yeah. And near-death experiences and that kind of thing. That's. Yeah. I was um, noticing like your poetry is almost philosophical um the that one poem let me see page 64 origin story that gave me chills <laughs> yes so um, this one i wrote this after mary oliver died oh wow speaking yeah. of nature right yeah and i'm certainly no mary oliver i don't know if anyone could be but reminiscent of though yeah yeah and thinking about you know there's a lot i you know you can tell i had kids while i was writing this book 
Um, yeah. There's some babies in there and, and yeah. toddlers and so on. And it, it is such a great question that kids always ask of like, well, what came before that? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and it's just sort of exploring that a little bit. I think about that constantly. I'm right. Very preoccupied every day. I feel unusual, like existing because right, right. it's so mind blowing. I don't know. It is. It is <laughs> the things that had to happen to get us here. Yeah. Um, or are it's we really here? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I love that one. <laughs> Notice a lot of haiku as well and yeah. folk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> my favorite. Tell haiku. me about that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're just you know, it, and it's interesting because the rules of haiku don't necessarily conform to the English language quite as right. well as it does the Japanese language. Yeah, and I want to say, gosh, was it Allen Ginsberg who um, he came up with something called the American haiku or the American line? I would have to look it up to get it right for mm-hmm. sure. But that's, that's a similar, you know, counting syllables and sh- really short poem that he, yeah. he says is more um, adaptable to English language. And so, you know, I, I love short form poems. And I mean, if you can just move someone in three lines, like mm. that, that's a, a, a cool skill to have. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I like to play with those a lot. Um, and on some days when I feel like I want to write and I just can't, you know, sometimes we don't write because we're like, well, I don't have three hours, <laughs> you, know? Right. you know? So I just have to be like, all right, I'm just going to put some, some words down. So some of them conform to the traditional haiku, you know, um, car- or, uh, syllable count and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. some of them don't, but they feel almost like, uh, you know, a version of a uh, similar concept, right? but not, following the rules you know so i call those foku like (laughs) that if it stands for fake haiku (laughs) yeah i wouldn't pretend that they're anything else but yeah nice so yeah yeah it's gotta be difficult to have that much power in that little amount of yeah it's words it's a it's like it's a fun challenge right yeah how do you do it and you read you know basho and some of the other greats and you just think how many know. how many haiku do they have to write to get those right. gems, you know? Yeah. Um and but they're so simple at the same time. There's nothing opaque about it. There's you know, it's not it's not trying too hard. It doesn't look like it's trying too hard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? If there's it's yeah. not pretentious of of a form. Um so I, I love those a lot. I'm actually reading a book that's around here somewhere. Hold on. Okay. Um, I am reading The Essential Haiku, uh, edited by Robert Haas, and it, t- it goes through Basho, Busan, and Isa, um, mm. and talks about it, what they can cont- kind of contributed, you know, to the form. And, it, you know, it sounds, I, I'm just barely into the book now, but it, I'm learning haiku kind of started as a, a what do you call it? Like a cyclical form. So someone would write some lines, pass it to the next person. They'd write some lines, they would pass it to the next person kind of thing. Yeah. And th- some of them can be funny. It was a party game. 
right? Yeah. Like by yeah. the time by the end of the evening, they get kind of colorful, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and you know, the ones we think of as being completely nature centric and that kind of thing is just one way to do it. Mm. Um, so I'm learning kind of all the ins and outs of that, and I hope to write more haiku. Yeah, I didn't know about kind of how it originated. And I guess mm-hmm. I've been wondering, you know, how who who yeah. made those rules and why. <laughs> right, right. Interesting. Um, your book is divided into four parts. Yep. Can you talk about why and how you decided? Yeah. yeah. Um, I toiled over sections in order. There are no real clear rules on how you decide what order to put stuff in. Yeah. (laughs) It is slightly chronological in the sense that if I had, you know, a poem about childbirth, I didn't want to have a poem about a four-year-old in the previous, you know, (laughs) pages. So I did keep that in mind. Um, The way that I ended up doing it, and this was kind of because I didn't know where else to start was I took a poem. And then if there was a word or phrase or concept in it, it was in another poem. I put that next. Mm. And then once I, I had done that, I rearranged it based on feeling, just gut feeling. So like Matador, Matador being the very first poem, that kind of came at the end. And I just, I love, I love the imagery in that one. Yeah. And I love kind of, it sets up the philosophical, yeah. you know, why are we here? Where are we from? Yeah. What do our actions you know, what are the consequences of our actions kind of concept that hopefully you can see throughout the rest of the book. So some of it's chronological, some is sort of theme based. Um, and then the rest, I kind of guessed, I think, <laughs> you know, I yeah. arranged it so many times at the end. So some of it was feeling, I guess. Not guessing, yeah. But why four parts? I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it felt like consumable chunks. It was fairly like the length of it lends itself to, you know, 10 ish poems, each section. And that feels like it gives the reader a rest, you know, in between. Um, It is, it also a little bit phase of lifey in that way, you know, right. So I, that is about as clear of an answer as I have for yeah. that. I, I definitely wanted sections because yeah. I feel like it's breathing room. Right. Yeah. yeah. I kind of did the yeah. same thing with my memoir manuscript and I appreciate the breaks as a reader. So, yeah. Yeah. Lots of love in uh-huh. your poetry, which I love. There's in particular, uh, where is it? Uh, laws of physics. It uh-huh. struck me because I have a, an essay that is similarly based around love and the laws of physics about this idea of the pull and going back, yep. even when right. you maybe shouldn't. Yes. Will you talk about that a little bit? So are you talking for, for, specifically for, about, uh, where is it? Page six. Okay. My, my essay is about me. I, I, I'm like your sister in this way. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, bless her heart. This one, and this actually is a version of a poem that I wrote in graduate school over 10 years ago. Right. Um, but you know, someone you love who makes decisions over and over and over again that are tough, you know, what, what can you do with that? Except think there must be some external pull mm -hmm. that defies logic. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. And gosh, you know, that's what that felt like. And I didn't know how to articulate that um, in any other way of just feeling like there, there's gotta be, whether it's psychological, you know, if you dig into it in a literal sense, psychological yeah. or, you know, those kinds of things, what, what's happening, but it feels like there, you know, you can't, you can only control so much and physics is not one of those things. <laughs> yeah. It is, there are laws that govern and well, at some point you have to surrender and let it go, you know, and yeah. hope, hope that it resolves itself and physics always does. Science, science will always balance. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of think of psychology or specifically attachment as having laws almost. Right. Right. So it's funny what, you know, what we'll do. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Based on those laws, yeah. I mean, and I, belief systems, right? right? So, like, you can you can apply that to any. You see the belief systems happening in society today. Yeah. If you want to take it far broader than this, of what does it take to convince a person, you know, of something that's in front of their their eyes, right? That it's actually there when they believe they're they're so emotionally tied to a certain belief that is other. Yeah. It's like right. I, it's yeah. Well, like, give an example. Like the earth is round, people. It is round. It is <laughs> a round planet. Yeah. And then, you know, you can turn that, it, like, you could take that into politics, and we don't need to go there unless you really want to. But I'm you know, always, yeah. I'm always going to go there. <laughs> I, it's, yeah. It's, right? 2020 is already a damn mess. Isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's shaping up to be a, a really fascinating. Yeah. 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 Lots of opportunities to express ourselves in poetry in 2020, I think. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, 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 that's another thing that's fascinating to me that I think about all the time is, I mean, I have a lot of family that are of that persuasion, gotcha. Trump supporters mm -hmm. and yeah. um, just the level of, I, I don't know how, your identity becomes so wrapped up in those beliefs to the point where I don't even know that they necessarily in their hearts believe right. some of the things that right. they believe, you know, right. I mean, it's like seeing, I don't know, sexual assault victims supporting Trump. I mean, how does right. that, you know, how does that work? Exactly. Yep. Um, uh, and it's almost a tribalism of like yeah. the need to be part of the group is greater than like the, yeah. and the, and the threat of being re re ejected by the group. And yes. you see this going on on both sides. We have to be fair, right? Mm -hmm. The extremist situations of both sides <clears throat> have some of this where you just blind yourself to anything that threatens that um, membership. Yeah. And that's what's frightening to me. And that's a psychological 
and spiritual. Thing. Right. Spiritual. I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought about <laughs> that piece of right. it. Like the, the community, even if it's just on the familial level, like these right. this is our family's politics. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, that's good. Well, and, and the loyalty, like think about how loyalty comes into play with, you know, oh, certain yeah. political groups and that loyalty is rewarded with, with membership and they've got your back and they'll always be there for you. And you're part of the team and, you know, you're made to feel, you know, accepted. And that is such a drive for us. Right. I mean, that's, that's it. Right. That's yeah. The big need human need. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Good stuff. Scary yep. stuff. Yep. <laughs> um, where where do we go from there? <laughs> I know. Well, I have a political poem in here. Um, oh, yeah, let's look at yeah, it. Uh, a couple of them. Gold King. Yep. So this is about the yeah. uh, wastewater in Colorado that was leaked into the Animas River. Um, and, you know, politicians and the media were trying to talk us out of it. <laughs> you know, right. there were politicians on TV saying, oh, it's not a big deal. And, you know, meanwhile, farms are getting polluted because they're using this water to irrigate yeah. fields. And um, people, you know, that's their source of drinking water is, yeah. is this river downstream. And especially it gets into, you know, New Mexico and Mexico. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, you know, how we handle our Pollution, in that sense, it says a lot about how we respect our neighbors, right? And it just infuriated me that on the evening news, you know, a politician, you know, which was trying to say it's it's not that bad, um, you know, nothing's really polluted, you know, watch this. And he drank from a water bottle from that river. And I'm just thinking... He did do it? Oh, yeah. First of all, it could have been staged. Who knows? But... um, Well, it reminds me of... Uh, Flint. Yeah, they they refuse to drink the water. <laughs> the, po- right. the politicians and whatnot there. So that's surprising. It makes you right. You know, I'm a skeptic. Like I said, no, I know, and it's it's it, it's horrible, it, yeah. and it just disgusted me. And, and I knew that I had to write about it. And it's interesting because, you know, I took a class with Billy Collins at the Aspen Writers Workshop, which if mm. you're a writer and you're listening, that's an amazing thing to do. And they do have scholarships um, if you're if you're interested in going sometime. Nice. But uh, Billy Collins doesn't really believe in doing political poems. He thinks that it has a shelf life, his, his works, he wants them on the, you know, on the shelf in your living room and for people to pick it up and enjoy it. And he's really good at that. Um, but I disagree with him on this. Oh yeah. He, he was a poet laureate twice and Congress asked him to write a poem about nine 11. And so he did because he had to, but he really didn't, didn't feel like that was how he works. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I completely disagree with him on this point because if, if no one, if poets don't talk about what's happening in the world, that's wrong. Who will, you know, um, we have a, I think an obligation to bring to light in an artistic way what we see going on around us that is not okay. And it is not okay to pretend that a, you know, a massive spill of wastewater that could have been avoided with proper attention and management and and that that failed (laughs) and is hurting people that that's somehow okay. Yeah. So that's what this poem is about. And it just, you know, right in the middle of the poem is the word heartsick. And that that's how I feel about that situation. You know, yeah. I have a friend who's a teacher or she was a teacher in Commerce City and she was told not to drink the water. 
it's it's everywhere. So you know, it, it reflects how we the populations that we re- respect, and, and it's a matter of power. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a sixth grade teacher, and I just before winter break, my students and I wrapped up a unit on fracking, uh, where they they took it and ran with it once they knew what fracking was researched the hell out of it and it's always amazing to get you know a kid's perspective and passion Isn't behind it? something it's so simple it's like yeah <laughs> i know and um, man we're counting on those guys i you know i have a, another poet friend who happily doesn't have kids and you know has feelings just like oh i'm just i worry about you know, bringing kids into this world, you know? And I said, but they're the, they're the hope. They right. get it. My girls, boy, they're going to be a force to yeah. be reckoned with. Yeah. In the whole generation, if we, if we can, uh, you know, teach them the truth, we'll be a force right. for good. And yeah. that's, that's gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. They got a, they really enjoyed Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and they started to realize because at the beginning of our research, it was like, well, what are we going to do about this? We're just right. kids, you know? And then mm-hmm. I was like, well, what are you going to do about it? Let's, let's figure that out. Exactly. Um, so yeah. you can always find an excuse to stay silent. Yep. And that to me is an act of violence. In itself. I, I agree. Yeah. And I agree with you that writing has to be political. Yeah. And I totally it, disagree yeah. that it's not that. Politics are timeless. I mean, look. Right. I ser- Look at all the poems that are coming forward right now, you know, that are about previous wars and previous politicians or dictators or, you know, those types of things that you can bring into the present yeah. so clearly. I yeah. mean, yeah, it, it can be timeless um, because because it's not really about the moment. It's about the concept behind right. it. It's about being lied to. It's about you know, people who fail us are, you know, when our people who are supposed to protect us fail us. And you can see that in, in a good political poem and they don't need to be angry. Like it is okay to get on your soapbox and, and have at it. It's very therapeutic. You know, it can, it can really excite people and it can be powerful, but it doesn't have to be right. You know, um, I, well, and the political is personal, like your poem about, your landlord's garden <laughs> and right. what, what he said to you, that is a political statement that is right. born of the patriarchy and to write about it. I mean, right. How can you not? <laughs> I know. And there, there's so like, you know, the me too movement is yep. incredibly powerful. And what a lot of people don't realize is that it is there. The large acts are horrifying, um, you know, assaults and, but, on the day to day, this type of conversation is where it needs to change too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You shouldn't be able to say that to someone, nor should you be able to, you know, refuse them security in their own home. <laughs> right. Know? So, uh, it, it, the small acts of violence are important to, to bring up as well as there's so many poems about assault and experiences that are so powerful and good and, it's it's good to cover the entire spectrum sometimes, mm. you know. Yeah. Because um, it's the context in which you know those things tend to happen. Um, 
another oh. one I was going to mention. There. Is it? I might be wrong. This is what I'm reminded of enough arms to gather them. Oh, yes. That that's a good one too. It's a, it's uh, a little That's tough. I mean, so that's page 47. Yeah, I was just like, "Damn." Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um you know, so when we lived in Minnesota, Ryan Wetterling was a little boy who was kidnapped many years ago, and they Oh, man they search for this little boy from this teeny town in rural Minnesota. And they finally figured out who it was enough to offer the man a plea deal that if he admitted it and told us, told us where we could find him, that he would not, uh, not receive a severe sentence or a sentence at all. I cannot, I have to look it up. It was, it was horrifying. See, that's political. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, I remember when they found, so he did, the, the, man, the man admitted to the murder of this little boy. He only lived a few hours after he was taken. Um, and he told them where the body was and they got closure in exchange for this guy's freedom or, or close to it. And, you know, here I am at home with two little bitty kids yeah. and it's just hard not to think about it. And what do you do? What, you know, as a parent, you can't not let your kids have freedoms and trust their own independence and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's hard not to burst into tears when you realize what that family has been through. And so it was just a regular day. And I remember hearing the news and things were we were just doing going about the after school craziness of everyone's home, put your backpacks away, get your, you know, ballet stuff on, we got to get out the door, etc. And just wanting to like, stop and like, never let them go. <laughs> They're yeah. like, why are you being so weird? Yeah. <laughs> you know? so sorry, I can't help it. I love that. Yeah. 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 And the title as Nikki Beers, you know, she's a local poet here in Denver. Who's amazing. Um, It's from her book about um, all about the octopus. So, you know, and so that title is taken from one of her poems about an animal with eight arms. And it's like, I wish I had eight arms to hug you with because that is what I, I would like to do right now, you know, Um, and it all inadequately is, is the word. <clears throat> at the end of the second to last stanza, and it just feels like there's nothing adequate that a parent can do to protect their kids yeah. all the time. I don't know if you remember, if you've been here since 2011. Yeah. Five or six years ago in Westminster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just I know Richmond. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I was in a relationship, a long term relationship at the time, and I lived with my partner and her three children about two blocks away from mm. Jeff Ridgeway's house. Right. So, and we had, I mean, the kids were, I don't know, five, seven and eight at the time. So it mm-hmm. was this huge sure. thing. It's and horrifying. I, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and you don't think it can happen where, you know, where you're calling home. And just in such a situation where the, the child who committed the crime didn't have necessarily, you know, has had set off alarm bells in the past, you know, that were detectable to be, you know, it just, it's, it felt so like your neighbors, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it could happen. Yeah. I don't know. It's that political too, you know? Yeah. I just think about, 
you know, the general demographic of murders like that or school shootings, you know, I'm more afraid of white male suburban America than than anything else. I know. Yeah. And And sending your kids to school should not be a scary thing. Right. Yeah. And I'm a teacher. I think about it every day. Every, Every time the loudspeaker comes on. Right. It crosses my mind. Like, right. oh, this is it. <laughs> Here we go. So we should probably talk about uh, page 58, Animals Invited to the Jubilee. I Here's the sticky note I put on that. It says, <laughs> it says raw as fuck. What did you feel? <laughs> it says what fuck? Raw as fuck. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. Oh, so, man. I mean, so this poem... Um, for those that don't have the book in front of them is about the Aurora shooter um, at the movie theater. And what year was that? 12, 2012. It's like, we've been here like a year. Yeah. And, you know, my husband works on campus at the, the Anschutz campus where this person was a student. Oh, his apartment was within a mile of my husband's office. Yeah. Um, we had taken my daughter who was two and a half to her very first full length movie in that theater, maybe a week before this happened. Um, it's a couple, you know, it's not too far from our house. And, you know, when they found the man's apartment, it was full of, you know, rigged bombs. Yeah. That could have, my child's daycare was also near my husband's office. So it was like, they, they were just very, very close. It just felt really close. And, um, again, you know, it's about going about your day and your responsibilities with your kids and not knowing even how much they absorb or how much you should say to them. And she was just two and a half at the time. So it's a little different now, but she understood something. She understood the basics of what was going on. Right. Right. Um, And asked questions that are both brilliant and childlike of just like, well, where was his mommy? You know, and that's such a hard thing to answer you know you can't and then you know behind that is the blaming the mother for everything concept right yeah i I don't want to judge his mommy or no you know but maybe it's it's hard not to think about that i know and then i but i also think of her just like what what's happening in her heart right now you know a week after this the shooting like hell yeah (laughs) that is someone's child yeah in addition the victims of course but you just have to think like what if you were on the other side of that yeah i had that that thought around the, with the jessica ridgeway's killer as well that right. was a kid that did that it's right like, with a family who yeah and i had a friend you know, at yeah. the time who was like he's kind of of that mind of well the parents had to fuck that kid up somehow or you know right no it, it's no, easy to the desire to place blame is strong, and yeah. that's the obvious choice. Right? I don't agree with that. I mean, no. can you imagine? I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, and you look at the second your kid comes out, you realize they are their own being. Yeah. There is only so much. What if it was your kid, you know? And, you know, there are people who do awful things to their kids, and those people turned out to be amazing adults. So, right. you know, it's like there's just so much that goes into it. So the, yeah. the sad thing is, is that you cannot pinpoint a thing. Right. right. That makes a person turn to that. And I, I don't know anything about his parents or family situation. Um, but my default is to have compassion for them, yeah. you know? 
but and, and then I, you know, how do you answer that question from your kid? Just I like, know. Where, where was his mommy? You know, it, it just that that cut me to the core. Yeah, <laughs> that call. <poem. laughs> that's probably when I was like, "Damn, that's raw." Like, yeah, I yeah. I actually called my mom and was like, "Mom, what, <laughs> what? Where is his mommy?" Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how to answer this. And I just said, "Like, what is expected of mothers if you know?" We are responsible for the actions of, of our children. Yes. Um, God, it's scary. It's scary. I don't know. It is. It's very complicated. And I wanted to get that across. And I, I think the last few lines hopefully gets across that, like, you know, sometimes it feels like things are moving in harmony. And sometimes it feels like a hundred cars crashing. Like, mm. it's just a complicated, messy, nonsensical kind of place there are not good answers for things like that you know i wish i wish there were but there are beautiful moments like having tea parties with your children you know yeah keep having those would you be willing to read that one sure animals invited to the jubilee and just to jubilee um we probably all know this but just just like a year of forgiveness Mm. You know, mm-hmm. in addition to, you know, joyful event is a definition. It's a peacemaking word. Yeah. Um, the lion, the shark, and the woolly mammoth arrive. I'm in charge of boiling water. My daughter is in charge of the guests. Bring tea, she says. Bring biscuits. Bring peppermints. Bring fruit. Bring napkins. Bring blankets. Because if they need sleep, we'll tuck them in. Right now, the Aurora shooter is fresh in jail, just three miles away. She wraps the lion in a dish towel, lays him down to nap before the fire. She spreads newspaper instead of a tablecloth. Her teacup spills over. Car bomb shatters truce. Each guest gets one meringue cookie. Where, she asks, is the shooter's mama? Later, I will ask my mother what possibly is expected of us. Us mothers, I mean, even his mother. We have our tea and napkins We slice open a letter from Auntie in Abu Dhabi. The bells for prayer, she writes, ring two beats later at one church than the church next door. Sometimes church bells come together like a hymn. Other times, like a hundred cars crashing. Oh, man. The juxtaposition of the tea party and the shooter. Right. And, of course, that when when your daughter asks, where's the... Yeah, it just takes a turn. You know, and children are smart and insightful beings and they, they deserve real answers to things, appropriate answers, but real answers. They ask better questions than us. I feel like (laughs) they do. Something I love about your collection is you go from that type of poem or gold King to these super nature-based i'm thinking of page 40 in the hour the body glows i wrote Mm -hmm. after i read that i wrote um your writing makes me feel almost like primordial or oh (laughs) it's like it 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 connects me to something that is totally timeless cool yeah i like (laughs) that I, I think it's interesting that you can do that and 
make me think about patriarchy and school shooters. Yeah. I didn't want it to be too heavily anything. I did not right. want to write a book that was entirely political. I didn't want to write one that was all about love and family. I didn't, yeah. you know, <clears throat> so I hope I achieved that. And I, I, I just so. feel like themed books can be really good when they're done well, but they can also exhaust your reader, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I probably wouldn't ever do one for my first book either. Yeah. Leave it to like James Baldwin or something. Right. Right. <laughs> um, transubstantiation after aneurysm. Yes. On page 36. Well, my note was first it was just what? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. is this true? Yeah. And yeah. If so, damn. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so this one, you know, I was, my grandmother had passed recently when I wrote this. And so I think about where she is, you know? Yeah. So the puff of flower on the cutting board is sort of the ghostly or the albescent flag iris. That's, you know, the beautiful flowers, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And then I remembered a story of a farmer from my hometown who told me the story of a near-death experience he had. Um, he went through the tunnel, saw the white light, came across, you know, a religious figure from that is comfortable to him, which happens a lot, I believe. And um, knew, had a conversation and knew that he had to go back, that it wasn't his time. And that's how he oh. described going back into his body, uh, putting on a pair of muddy overalls. Uh, is what that felt like. He didn't want to do that, but it was work that needed to be done. Wow. Um, and I was so happy he shared that with me because it was hard for him to talk about. Yeah. Um, but it felt accurate, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's about your grandmother? The first part was me sort of, well, just in, in general, I guess. She prompted the thoughts, but just, you know, the signs and symbols we see around us of loved ones that have passed. Mm, mm -hmm. And, you know, what would hers have been? And you picture these sort of white ghostly, I don't know. Those are just the images that came to mind. Yeah. Um, That's so interesting because... I feel like it happens before loved ones pass even or which part. Oh, that you that see you, signs. Well, that you equate symbols. Yeah. With, with a person that you love. Right. I mean, I'm thinking of even like breakups. <laughs> oh yeah. Which is sure. not them passing away, but then these symbols remind right. them. And, they yeah. give a different meaning yes. to those symbols. Yes. It's yeah. kind of annoying. <laughs> It can be, or it can yeah. be beautiful. I mean, think of a song that comes on that reminds you of True. a beautiful phase of life, right? True. Um, when there's like a meal, like I, I have trouble eating one of my favorite meals because now it's completely oh. associated with. <laughs> it's a pain. That's you a can pain. you can reprogram that. You can. <laughs> I give I you have. permission to do. That. Yeah, no. I've worked on yes. it. Yeah. Good stuff. Right. So what's next for you? For 
In the oh, writing. Gosh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I so I'm reading the haiku book and I want to practice a lot of that. But I've also been thinking about doing a a themed collection hmm. that is a narrative. Um Gosh, I wish I had it in front of me because it's inspired by this book that I had never heard of, but read and it won an award. Gosh, I think it's downstairs. Hmm. Anyway, um, it it takes a story of a group of women that experienced eugenics, hmm. um, which is forced sterilization. And she wrote a book, fictionalized um, sort of series of poems, and it moved me so much. Um, that I would like to take the concept and do something similar to tell the story of a person that, or a group of people that needs to be told. And I'm musing. I'm, I haven't figured out quite what that looks like yet. Yeah. Um, sounds. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's something to get. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you have your featured reading at book bar in yep. a couple weeks. Yep. Um, On the 18th. 18th. I'm definitely going to try to make that. Cool. Thank you so much for sitting down. This was a fabulous conversation. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It was. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please drop by Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating. And we'll see you next time.